We need to continue to call for the removal of all Confederate symbols from places of honor in America. Because symbols of the Confederacy are symbols of America's history of racist hate. And they embolden white supremacists to march on the streets without shame. And they must all come down now. We cannot be silent when the humanity of black persons is being assaulted and terrorized. That's terror that we're living under. Heather Heyer's family is a remarkable family and one of the things that her cousin said yesterday, he said, I'm going to say what I know Heather would have said, which is why did it take the death of a white woman to finally wake us up? Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, your show for voices of resistance and alternative news from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum, and for this hour, we hear voices, including those of the Reverend Graylin Hagler and journalist Dave Zirin, who participated in the Love Over Hate rally held Sunday, August 20th, 2017, at Cedar Lane Unitarian Universalist Church in Bethesda, Maryland. Many of the clergy and activists who traveled to Charlottesville, Virginia two weeks ago to protest the gathering of white supremacists came from the Washington, D.C. area and were on hand to speak on Sunday. The first voice you'll hear is the Reverend Abi Janamanchi, senior pastor at Cedar Lane. Welcome everyone to this rally for love over hate. It is so good to see you all here this afternoon. We not only have a capacity crowd here, but we have friends who are seated in the chapel, which is in the back, and the Chalice House. Oh, my. Woo! I'd like to invite my colleague and friend and co-conspirator, the Reverend Graylin Hagler, who serves the Plymouth Congregational United Church of Christ in Washington, D.C. Brother Graylin. Good afternoon. It's always a blessing to be here at Cedar Lane UU Church, but also because every time I'm here, we're gathered with such a diverse crowd of people from many different places, many different faith walks, many different lifestyles, many different communities, and it just feels like a place that is reflective or should be reflective of what America should look and feel like. So I thank all of you. For one thing that is important in this era, in this time, is when we look at the political rhetoric and we look at all of the policy rhetoric, uh, it can feel very lonely if you're a Muslim, for example. It can feel very lonely if you're a black person, for example. It can feel very lonely if you're from the LGBTQ community. It can feel very, very lonely if you're a person that is traditionally marginalized historically in this country. But when you come to a place like this and you see sisters and brothers turn out and say that you're not alone. You do not stand alone. We stand with you. We stand together. We stand shoulder to shoulder. Then there is a special empowerment that takes place, a special uplift 
that takes place. So I thank you each and all of you for being here this day. You know, Avi called me and he had this thing pressing on his heart. And he said, we need to do something. And I agreed, we, we needed to do something. And we talked and had conversations and, and, and talked and thought about it and talked to other people and prayed about it in our ways. And then we came up with the idea of being able to gather here in all of our diversity and to say no to hate and no to violent speech and no to white supremacy and no to all of the things that try to tear us apart. When we look when we looked at the events in Charlottesville, Virginia, it was truly a wake-up call for all of us who had been apathetic and all that said to me when the election happened, well, we need to give him a chance. Uh, sisters and brothers, uh, you know, he has now all the chances that he needs. We know what it looks like. We know what it feels like. We know what it is that we must resist. And what we resist is the negativism and we embrace that which is positive. We resist the hate and we embrace the love. We exist the exclusive narrow vision, the xenophobia, and we declare inclusivity in all of its broadness and all of its radical forms that all of us, we are a part of this country and whether you like it or not, we're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. We're here to be a reflection of what the country should look like and what the country should feel like. So we said we want to say no to all systems of white supremacy. And we also want to call on all elected officials to explicitly and publicly condemn white supremacy and the organizations that advance and seek to give it mainstream credibility. We want to call on elected officials to uphold our cherished values of inclusion and the worth and dignity of every person. We want to demand that Steve Bannon goes and he's gone. We want to demand. We want to demand that Sebastian Gorka gets out, gets fired, removed. We don't care. We want to demand that Stephen Miller loses his job. We want to demand that other supporters of white supremacy who are in the administration resign or be fired. And yes, that might mean you, Donald Trump. And we're here saying yes to love over hate. Yes to one another over that which tries to destroy us. Yes for justice, yes for love, and yes for an inclusive society. People are willing to put aside all of the little differences that we have to say we need to stand together today and from this moment on.
and not be divided in the pettiness that people try to sell to us. Because many of us, we, we go down very often without thinking about what we're buying into. But I'm saying today, don't buy into the petty agendas. Buy into the large, grand agenda of love and uplift of one another and support to each other. Let's stand up in that ethic of love and stand against hate once and now and forevermore. God bless you for being here. Thank you very much. Now we want to just ask for those who were in Charlottesville uh, last on, on, on Saturday, that Saturday, if you could just please stand so that we might recognize you, those who were in Charlottesville. Thank you. And it's important, and I want to just, we wanted to thank them uh, and also allow their spirit to call all of us into action. Because one of the things that people always argue that when you have these hate groups, that we, we should not be out there because we give them a bigger spotlight. But my understanding is that when you ignore those who are filled with hatred because you think that they're on the margins, by the time they, they move into the mainstream, it's too late. And so we need to be about confronting hatred wherever hatred emerges and be the people of goodwill and conscience that we're called to be. I want to invite forth uh, in this order uh, Reverend Laura Martin, who is the associate pastor of Rock Springs, and I don't know, and Katie Gale. These are words that I wrote after being in the UVA hospital last Saturday. You, all five of you, walked into the ER with blood on your clothes, hit by sticks, beaten by shields, thrust into you. Police say that you can't have your backpacks inside. Why didn't they tell me that as I sat with mine in the waiting room? You are still bleeding beyond the bandages. I take your bags to my car. You go back and are stitched, stitched, stitched. Hours pass. Hospital on lockdown, security check, security check. Three of you are released. You want to return to the rally with hospital bracelets and bruises and cuts. Wait, wait. People have been hit by a car. Twenty stretchers line up outside. Clean white sheets, pristine for now. Get back. Get back. Security check, security check. There's not enough room in the ER to triage. So the lobby of the hospital is made into triage. Siren one, siren two, siren blue. The other two of you are released. I had to get plastic surgery 
you tell me. Your treatment took five hours. I'm worried about my transgender friend. She's elderly and was left alone at the church. Let's go look for her. Driving through the streets, Nazi flag smoke. She is at the church. Safe? Are we? When I get home, I find that I too have bruises. Siren one, siren two, code blue. Hi, everyone. My name is Katie, and I live in DC, and I'm a member of the International Socialist Organization. So we had about nine people from our organization drive down to Charlottesville. And we, when we arrived, our forces on the ground were scattered. There's a lack of communication between groups, and there was, there was no clear plan of action for the day. The organizations of the far right, on the, on the other hand, were very organized, and they had used violence and intimidation the night before on their torch-lit march, and were confident, openly espousing their genocidal politics. Those of us on Saturday who were able to rally our forces at the park marched towards downtown because we had heard that the fascists were attempting to march on a low-income housing project. So we wanted to stand in solidarity with these people and march against the far right. And it was this march that was later attacked. When the car hit, everyone was in shock but everyone immediately went into action to help those who were injured in whatever way that they could. People helped pull each other out of the street, trying to stop people from bleeding, uh, calling for medics, calling for ambulances. And the reality is, is that the far right saw this rally in Charlottesville as a huge success for their side. The Southern Poverty Law Center has said it was the largest gathering of the far right in decades. And these are the people who gloated about the death of Heather Hare. And excuse my language, but this is a, a summary of what they said. They called her a, a fat, 32-year-old, childless slut. These are people who hate women. They hate gays, blacks, whites, Jews. And the point is that we have a common enemy. Now, the majority of the people on Saturday, the counter-demonstrators were white, radicals, socialists, anarchists. But you don't have to be a radical to be in this fight. We recognize our differences, but like I said, we have a common enemy. And we're going to need the kind of organization and numbers that we saw yesterday in Boston, where we outnumbered the far right 1,000 to 1. And we need to use these forces to organize ourselves and show up wherever these people show their faces. And this, I think, can be used as a foundation not just to fight the far right and drive their hatred back to the margins, but to build a more equitable and just society for the future. Let us stand together because it seems like we all woke up this morning with our mind on freedom. Why don't we stand and let us make that declaration today.
we're going to hear from some voices of faith. I want to invite forth uh, Reverend uh, George Gilbert Jr. Uh, and uh, Rabbi Alina Suskin and Reverend Rosetta Robinson. Greetings. I greet you with the peace of God. I stand representing the Baptist Ministers Conference of Washington, D.C. and vicinity. We want to thank Pastor Hagler and those who have gotten us all together and want to thank you for being here. The system wants us to give reverence for a flag and a song. The system wants us to ignore the symbols and statues of dominance of white supremacy and dominance against blacks in America. The system wants us to be controlled and scared by mean, corrupt police overseers. The system wants us to ignore white privilege. However, we refuse to bow down and accept the system's expectations. We will continue to bang the wall of racial hatred with the sledgehammer of righteous indignation. We will respond to hate with goodness. We will respond to fools with intelligence. We will continue to move forward until the walls of America's hateful system that this country was built on will one day fall. They enslaved us, but we're still here. They whipped us, they beat us, almost to death, but we're still here. They lynched us, but we're still here. They pumped drugs into our communities, but we're still here. They brutalized us, threw us in jail, but we're still here. And we will continue to push America to, to right its wrongs of slavery and hatred for the black kings and queens of our civilization. With God on our side, we will be strong, we will be vigilant, and be righteous. With the recent actions of white supremacists and the condoning words of Donald Trump, white America, it is time that you, as you have done today, to choose love over hate. It is time. You can no longer stand on the sidelines and just say that you don't agree with racism while enjoying your white privilege. It is no longer acceptable for you to simply say that I am not racist because I have a few black friends. It is time that you stand in solidarity against the hate-filled white supremacists and the words and actions of Donald Trump. This is not a party issue. This is a God issue. Yeah. 
Finally, I declare that in order for America to become beautiful, she must repent from her transgressions and repair the damages she caused toward the black family. Unless she repents and repairs, she will only reap the horrible seeds of evil that she has sown. God would not be God if he didn't punish America for its continued treatment of the black community. But we all have the power to fix this wrong and to do what God can do without us, for we are his hands, we are his feet. So right now, it looks dark and dim, but I still have hope that he's still in control. He's a God that looks high, sits high and looks slow. He's a God that still has America in his eyes. Good afternoon, my friends. I'm gonna be just a little bit unseasonal for a moment. The Jewish holiday of Purim is celebrated in the late winter, early spring, around February or March. It is superficially a festive holiday, marking the salvation of the Jewish people from the evil advisor to a foolish ruler. Yes, really. The advisor takes umbrage at the fact that a Jew refuses to bow down to him, and so he marks the entire population in that kingdom for slaughter. This fate is averted by the actions of a woman, the niece of the man who refused to bow, who earlier in the story had just happened to become the consort of the king. She takes her life in her hands and goes to see the king to ask that the decree of slaughter be averted. It's a very abbreviated version of the story in the book of Esther. But what is remarkable about this religious book is that nowhere is God explicitly mentioned in the book. Nevertheless, the tradition teaches that God is indeed present in the story, but hidden. Our sages say, from where do the Hebrew scriptures bring the name Esther? From the verse in Deuteronomy 31, 18, but I, God, will surely conceal my face. Haster astir The name Esther is interpreted as the phrase for a concealed God. In the Purim story, it is left to humans to act. In the story of Esther, God is not missing, merely hidden. God is never directly mentioned in the story, but God acts unseen through us. In the fourth chapter of the book of Esther, Mordechai, Esther's unbowing uncle, comes to her and tells her that she must use the power and privilege that she has to save her people, and adds, and who knows if it were not for just such a time as this that you were raised to power. Just as in that story, God moves the characters into place but leaves them to act, so it is up to us to act. Those of us with privilege must use it. We must all stand together at this time and at all times. It is, I think, not merely serendipity that the portion in the Hebrew scriptures that the Jewish community read last week begins with the command to see. See, 
I place before you the blessing and the curse, it says. Which will we choose? Although this is a moment in which many of us are afraid, it is also partly a blessing. The fear that some of us have always lived in because of racism have become recognized by many who do not really see it before. Anti-Semitism, which is often dismissed as unimportant because some Jews are white-skinned and benefit from that, has been revealed as a still powerful force. Racism, sexism, homophobia, anti-immigrant sentiment, Islamophobia, all of these have the same root And when you see one, you will see the others. All the intersectional forces which strip power from some of us can be seen clearly if we have the will to see it. And whether we choose to see or not, that will determine which path we walk down. The Jewish tradition warns elsewhere, with the justice that a person with power does, he sustains the earth but the fraudulent person destroys it. If one sets oneself aside in the corner of the house and says, well, what have the affairs of society to do with me? What's in it for me to take part in their disputes? Why should I listen to their voices? I'm fine. This person destroys the world. This is the meaning of the fraudulent person destroys the world. Tomorrow, there will be an eclipse. A number of us have mentioned that. Light will seem to be swallowed by darkness, but it isn't really. It's just that the view of the light is blocked for a few minutes. Just now in the world, we too look around us and the world appears to be darkness. Like an eclipse, the light seems to be blotted out, but that glorious light continues whether we see it or not. But in this world, To make sure that the light is revealed, to uncover the concealed face of God, it is upon us to act. First, for those who are threatened to help keep them safe. Second, to our lawmakers and leaders and anyone who by words or by silence, by acts or by inaction, lets racism and white supremacism flourish. They must know not only that we oppose them, but that we will act to oppose them and to vote them out. And third, to the people who believe such evil, and especially those who act on it and teach it to others, we have to find ways to reach them and educate them and end the cycles of ignorance, poverty, and violence in our nation. Esther had to choose. Do I risk my life and go before the king to save my people? Or shall I pretend nothing is wrong and live my life of luxury, unruffled by the storm outside my door? We too must learn to see, and then we must choose. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said in 1972, morally speaking, there is no limit to the concern one must feel for the suffering of human beings. Indifference to evil is worse than evil itself. Over my head, I hear music in the air. Over my head, 
I hear music in the air, hold my head. I hear music in the air. There must be a God somewhere. Oh, bless God. When my ancestors created the beautiful music of the spiritual, they were declaring, I believe in a God that one day will set us free. Well, there's still more work to be done. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's always right to do what is right. And it certainly is right for us to be here today from all walks of life to respond to this national atrocity that happened in Charlottesville. And you know, and I know, that it was just a symptom of a bleeding sore, a wound that has not healed, the wound of racial hatred that has not healed and has been present in this country since its inception. If you agree with me, say amen. amen. I stand here remembering a trip that I took with disciples, women. I'm a disciple of Christ, ordained minister, disciple of Christ, last fall to South Africa. And I remember when I was there hearing about the genesis of apartheid. And I was hearing about the Africanas who were inspired by the KKK. Do y'all know that story? You know that history? And so they looked at what was going on in America and they began to model some of that and bring that to that system that they would develop that would oppress their people. Shame on us, what a legacy. What a vision to have shared with the world. Shame on us, won't you tell your neighbor, shame on us. Now how about shame on me for not doing enough in my lifetime to end racial hatred? We gotta get personal. This is the right time to get personal, it's the right time to have important conversations about race. I'm gonna be obedient to the time, and as I move uh, to the close, I, I, I want to mention that as a disciple of Christ, we, we say that we are a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. So we are working with diverse communities to confront racism and white supremacy with prophetic resistance. The prophetic resistance of the word of God. I want to share with you some words from our new general minister, Reverend Terry Horde Owens, who has said in response to Charlottesville, we cannot be silent when the humanity of black persons is being assaulted and terrorized. That's terror that we're living under. The commandment of 1 John 4.20 is calling us to account. Those who say, I love God, and hate the brothers or sisters are liars. 
liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister who they have not seen, could not love God whom they, who they have seen rather, could not love God who they have not seen. The commandment we have from John is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. And with such love, we are compelled to work for justice and walk in peace. And now one other word from a disciple colleague, Reverend Dr. William Barber, who's committed to repairing the breach, the trauma that is affecting our nation, not only about racial justice, but poor people. We need love for one another. This is the time. And we need to be honest about how we got here. Love is not afraid to speak truth to this nation. And love wants justice for all. So if you are evangelical, conservative, liberal, if you are Muslim, if you are Jewish, if you are Christian, if you are Unitarian and you say you know and love God, then you would stand for justice. Justice, gender justice, racial justice, and justice for all peoples. This is the word of God for the people of God that we teach and is taught in Galatians 3.28 that we are entitled. God has the desire that we all should support fundamental equality for all people. Amen. I want to invite forth uh, David Zarin. How's everybody doing? It's beautiful to see you all. Uh, my name is Dave Zirin, and I write about sports for a living. Um, and I, I could actually do a quick talk about Colin Kaepernick, <laughs> about Michael Bennett, about the brave athletes who are standing up right now to white supremacy. But that's not what I'm going to do. <laughs> Afterwards, if people want to meet, talk some sports, I'll make myself available. But actually, I want to start by paying tribute to someone who passed away this weekend who never bowed to white supremacy, and I'm talking about Dick Gregory. My favorite Dick Gregory story is the one where he talked about it being the early 1960s and him stopping at a truck stop in the Dixie South. And two rough-looking white gentlemen came up to him, and they were standing around his table trying to intimidate him. Then his order came to the table, and it was a whole fried chicken. <laughs> and they looked at Dick Gregory, and they said, whatever you do to that fried chicken, we are going to do to you. So Dick Gregory picked up the fried chicken and kissed it. I also 
want to say before my, my extremely brief remarks, I also just want to say in the spirit of reconciliation and in the spirit of fighting oppression, I want to say as a proud Jew that I stand with the struggle of the Palestinian people in their efforts for justice and freedom. And how important it is, just as it's so important for people who are white to speak out against racism, just as it's so important for men to speak out against sexism, it's so important for my Jewish sisters and brothers to speak out for the humanity of the Palestinian people. Um, but, but after, I want to speak, though, about my first thoughts after Charlottesville. And my first thoughts were about Lieutenant Richard Collins III, who was killed by a Nazi on the University of Maryland campus just 15 minutes from my house last May. Richard Collins was, of course, a recent Bowie State College graduate. Richard Collins was effectively lynched on the UMD campus, just like the black GIs were lynched when they returned from World War II. Richard Gollins was also killed just 30 minutes from the White House, but not one tweet, not one word, not one anything from either this president, who's supposed to be the commander-in-chief, or even the U.S. Army, not one word. This president has time to tweet about the facelifts of news anchors, but not enough time to lend comfort to the family of Richard Collins III. Now, after Richard Collins was killed, I thought about how, what is my role in fighting back against this targeting of our black and brown sisters and brothers? What is my role as an ally in this struggle? But I think what Charlottesville has opened up our eyes to and what it must teach us is that we are all targets when Nazis are on the march. Now, I think the people in this room know the famous saying from the Holocaust by Pastor Martin Niemöller about first they came for the socialists, but I didn't say anything because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the Jews, but I didn't say anything because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one else to say anything. I think we need to update this. And I update this with great humility and I speak in the first person on purpose because I remember when first they killed the Muslims in the mosque in Quebec and I did not rally when that took place. Then they killed Servinus Cochabatla, a 52-year-old Indian man shot in cold blood by a Trump supporter screaming, get out of my country in Kansas. And I did not say anything when that happened. Then they came for Richard Collins, and I did rally. We did try to organize, but very few numbers came out. And then they came for Heather Heyer, and we hit the streets. And Heather Heyer's family is a remarkable family, and one of the things that her cousin said yesterday he said, I'm going to say what I know Heather would have said, which is why did it take the death of a white woman to finally wake us up? We don't know who's going to be next. We can't answer that. But we can say with utter confidence that the answer does not lie staying at home eating sheet cake. It was a satire. Oh. <laughs> okay, we could have the Tina Fey debate afterwards if we like. Um. <laughs> now, I don't think it was a satire. Now, I think, though, that the answer 
It lies in what we saw in Boston yesterday. As Katie said, I mean, the idea of us outnumbering them 1,000 to 1, masses of us telling them that they do not belong in our cities. It lies this September 30th in the March for Racial Justice. Maurice Cook, one of the organizers, is here. I hope he puts his hand up. Maurice, please try to find Maurice Cook so we could speak about the March for Racial Justice on September 30th. It, it, the answer lies in us hitting the streets. And I close with the prophetic words of Nina Turner, one of the most powerful black women speaking political truth in this country right now. I was at a rally that Nina Turner spoke at at the Martin Luther King Memorial, and this is what she said. She said, we may have come to this country on different ships, but we are in the same boat. to share a boat with all of you. Never again, never forget. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for being part of a nationwide movement to resist hate, to defend our democracy and fight white supremacy in the White House. Today's gathering makes it very clear that when we organize and join hands with the massive resistance movement in this country in partnership with frontline communities targeted by this administration and the white supremacists, we can prevail and win. So what do we do going forward? Well, we need to tell Congress once again, and this time more loudly than ever, to refuse to side with white supremacists. Democrats and Republicans in Congress alike must take a public stand from hate taking a front seat in the White House, with the President showing his alignment with white nationalists after Charlottesville, we must get our members of Congress on record. Because will they... We need to ask them, will they continue to enable this president's immoral agenda or turn toward protecting democracy and our lives? And to those who have condemned the violence but have refused to specifically denounce the president and even recently confirmed that they stand with the president and his both sides argument, we say to them, your position is extremely hurtful to all those who have felt the brutal effects of Nazis, the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacy and betrays the value of dignity, justice and equality that we hold dear. Because there can only be one moral position when it comes to condemning racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, white supremacy and anti-immigrant hatred. Publicly condemn and affix blame solely on those white supremacy ideologues for inciting hate and violence. Unequivocally declare that white supremacy is repulsive, counter to all this country stands for and has no place in this country.
Now, one white supremacist is out of the White House, but there are several more to go. We have work to do, people. We also need to demand corporate funders cut off white supremacist hate groups. Credit card providers like Visa, MasterCard, American Express and Discover are making big money from processing the funds for white supremacist groups like Stormfront, giving them the funds to plan events like the Unite the Right rally. If companies refuse these services, we can stop hate groups from being able to fund rallies like this in the first place. We need to let them know that communities will not stand for corporations that aim to profit from white supremacy and ask them to take immediate action and cut hate groups off from their financial service platforms. We need to continue to call for the removal of all Confederate symbols from places of honor in America. Because symbols of the Confederacy are symbols of America's history of racist hate. And they embolden white supremacists to march on the streets without shame. And they must all come down now. And this is for my interfaith colleagues and people who are belonging to communities of faith across the theological spectrum. We could be and should be doing more challenging white supremacy in our own communities, in this nation and across the globe. Why? Because at the heart of our endeavors, Interfaith movements tend to affirm particular identities without claiming that any one of these identities is superior to or supreme over all the others. We say no one has a copyright on truth. We commit ourselves to better understanding each other and actually working cooperatively with one another despite our differences. And tonight is an example of how we can still occupy common ground even if we do not share in values or ideas or beliefs. We can still do that. Because when we find that this harmony is possible amidst our diversity, when we recognize that our differences need not divide us, we as interfaith movements can also move toward collective action on behalf of the common good. So what I have in mind is something larger, more massive, more ready to act wherever and whenever the supremacists strike. And to get to that state of readiness, however, will require that all of us get well prepared to be interventionists into situations in which the supremacists are ready to provoke hatred and violence, disruption and disarray, injury, and yes, even death. And these interfaith movements can bring their collective voices and actions to the places where the supremacists are endangering both religious and civic values, disrupting neighborhoods and communities, and threatening human life. We've got work to do. 
who we who identify ourselves as people of faith or faithful people or people of conscience guided by our commitments to our faiths and moral values and our solidarity. Dr. King said, we are now faced with the fact that today, that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is such a thing as being too late. There is no time for apathy and complacency. This is a time for vigorous and positive action. So let us say yes to vigorous and positive action. And as we prepare to adjourn nearly on time, I want to do something as, as you have made that call, because it is about eventually moving forth into our action to challenge paradigms of white supremacy and hatred, to allow it never ever to be comfortable. And one of the things that I want to lift up is that we have fallen so easily into the language of right and left or conservative and liberal. And we've thought nothing about using that language over and over again. What I really know is not that something is liberal or conservative, but I know whether it's right or wrong. And being right is not to the left or it's not to the right, if I can use that. But it's understanding what is fair and decent. Right now, people have made a sport out of abhorring being, as they put it, politically correct. And as I argued with somebody who was trying to argue that they were tired of being politically correct, I finally had to ask him the question, I don't know what your mother taught you, but I know that my mother taught me to be respectful of somebody else. That's being politically correct, is to be respectful of somebody else. Not to call you out of your name, not to demean you, not to dehumanize you, but to treat you as a unique and creative invention of creation. What's going on right now all down at Capitol Hill is folks have hidden white supremacist ideology in this language of being right or left, conservative or liberal. To take away or an attempt to take away folks Healthcare is not right or left, it's just evil. To treat immigrants as if they don't count, as if they have no humanity, as if they bring nothing of value into the society is not right or left, it's just evil and xenophobic. And what I'm getting at here is not right and left, 
politics that we're talking about in this country right now. We're talking about xenophobia, exclusivism. We're talking about hatred. We're talking about folks treating other people as other and without any dignity. And that's what we got to stand up against is challenge every single politician that utters anything out of their mouth, whether they stand in a place that offer dignity and respect to all human beings or whether they stand only offering dignity and respect to some human being. We need to challenge them on that. I'm thankful and I'm blessed this evening because my father's here with me, who's 97 years of age, 96. And you see, I heard stories all my life from him that when he was drafted in World War II into the Navy, and the person on the ship said, there's nothing that a Negro can do on this ship but shine my shoes and bring me my meals. And then my father said, well, this Negro ain't on your ship then. <laughs> He's been fighting against racism all of his life. That's where I get it from. Standing up even in this season. And I'll tell you another story, and I preach this and then I want to do something. Because we recognize that there is strength in the human chain. There's strength, there's strength. When we stand together. There's strength when we hold each other up. There's strength when we defend each other. You see, I don't need to wait until the attack comes to me. If the attack has come to you, it's already come to me. And I need to be engaged. And we need to be engaged. So we're making a pledge today, a sacred and holy vow today, that we're not gonna let those forces of hatred overrun this nation or overrun our communities. We make a pledge this day that we stand up for justice. We make a pledge today that there's no, I'm a just-minded person, but leave the butt out. <laughs> Sit on the butt. <laughs> but there are no exceptions. I either love you in your full humanity or I don't love you at all. So sisters and brothers, we're called to be a people that embrace one another. That's how we stand against hatred. I can't allow anybody to touch Reverend Janamachi. Why? Because he is my brother. No, he's deeper than that. He's me. Or Bishop Abrams. She's me. We belong to each other. And because we belong to each other, we defend one another. We protect each other. We offer dignity and respect and hope. You see, in history, Rem Robinson, you raised South Africa. There was a call in Soweto that was a genesis of a movement. 
or wounded knee. That's part of a continued reminder of a movement. Or Philadelphia, Mississippi. That reminds us of the genesis of a movement. Or Stonewall in New York. That reminds us of the genesis of a movement. Or Charleston, South Carolina that reminds us of a genesis of a movement or Charlottesville, Virginia that is the genesis of a movement that is going to really deal with the healing and the hurt and the pain and to eradicate the racism that exists in this country and say no more, no longer will this division happen on our watch. We will not go home and be quiet but we are activated from this moment on. Preachers, teachers, leaders, are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. We're ready together. And so let us go forth. Lead us in something that we can internalize our togetherness today as we prepare to adjourn from here. You have been listening to Voices from the Love Over Hate Rally held Sunday, August 20th, 2017 at Cedar Lane Unitarian Universalist Church in Bethesda, Maryland. The last voices you heard were the Reverend Graylin Hagler and before that, Reverend Abi Janamanchi, Senior Pastor at Cedar Lane. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. And that will do it for today's show. You can reach the show at onthegroundshow.org where you can listen to all of our shows, including today's show. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On The Ground Show. I'm Esther Averam. Keep raising your voice. Peace.